Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this Ninja Pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. So tonight, the truth and Torah taken away or fulfilled forever. And we're going to move quickly, too, because we got a lot to cover. We may not get through all this. Don't panic. If we don't get through all this, that's okay. We'll get through it next week. First, I've got to talk to you about the Center for Self-Governance training, www.centerforselfgovernance.com. Training is going to be in the tri-state area, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania. But really, if you're from New Jersey, um, you know, you're welcome to come. If they'll let you out of New Jersey, I'm not sure if they will. I'm pretty sure they won't let you back in. Uh, there's a lot of rules in New Jersey. So in Delaware, there's going to be training all week long. Uh, this week, starting on Tuesday, the 20th of September, level two, uh, it's in Sussex County. Come on, there's one area code in three counties. It takes you 90 minutes to drive from the tip of Delaware to the tip of Delaware. So it's it's easy to do. So in Sussex County, if you've never had level two or you had level two, this is an updated level two kind of dynamic. They've kind of moved things along and expanded things a little bit. Uh, That's in Sussex County in Milford, Delaware, at First State Manufacturing. It's 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Then Wednesday on the 21st of September, Level 4. That's in Newcastle County. It's in a private home in Middletown. I assure you, you'll be very comfortable. Um, It's a nice multimedia presentation, Level 4. If you've taken Level 3, you don't have your program requirements, relax about that. We're going to have a big meeting afterwards with everybody that's attended in Newcastle County to help you complete your uh, program requirements. So don't worry about that. Go ahead and sign up for it. you got to do it today. Uh, so that's Wednesday, no, um, September 21st for Newcastle County in Middletown, Delaware, 9 to 4. Then Thursday, this is a very special opportunity. This is a rare, rare opportunity to attend live uh, Thursday, the 22nd of September, this Thursday, the Delaware Constitution class. You might say, well, if I'm from uh, New Jersey or Pennsylvania or Maryland, why would I come to see that? It's very important. The Delaware Constitution is extremely important to all of the other constitutions. Why might that be? We're the first state, right? A lot of things keyed in off of that, and a lot of people emulated 
our Constitution. The problem is, guess what? In the modern age, the state of Delaware doesn't emulate its own Constitution. We don't follow our own Constitution. You can't push for reform if you don't know what your founding documents are. You will be shocked to find out what is in the Delaware State Constitution. That's in Middletown, Delaware, on Thursday, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. So it's an evening course, uh, five, and it's we're going to be strict on the time, 5 to 8 p.m. <clears throat> Mark, boy, once he gets going, you got he's the Energizer Bunny, and he's going to be well rested. He'll have plenty of rest. So look out; you don't want to miss that. Then on Friday, 9:23, September 23rd, this Friday, um, Level Three. If you've taken Level Two and you and you uh, want to move on to Level Three, or you've taken Level Three and you say, you know what, I want to take it again. Look, I took Level One seven times. I've taken Level Two four times. I've taken Level Three three times. I've taken level four four times, and uh, I think I'm on only my first time on level five. So um, exciting. So that's going to be in Newcastle County at Bible Fellowship Church, Bible Fellowship Church in Newark, Delaware, and that's going to be 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay, here we go. You ready? You guys ready to rock and roll? This is going to come. It's going to come at you real fast. Matthew 5:17 through 20 in the complete Jewish Bible. I'm going to I'm going to read through it for you just in case you don't have your complete Jewish Bible right there in front of you. Don't think that I have come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to complete. By the way, welcome in chat. We, we, uh, we're privileged to have Alaska represented right now. So we're pleased to have you listening with us um, and all the others around the world. So verse 18, yes, indeed. Wait, let me go back. I have come, first of all, these letters are in red. Why? Why are they in red? They're in red because... Yeshua said them, I have come not to abolish, but to complete. Yes, indeed, I tell you that until heaven and earth pass away, not so much as a yud or a stroke will pass from the Torah, not until everything that must happen has happened. So whoever disobeys the least of these mitzvot and teaches others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys them and so teaches will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse number 24, I tell you that unless your righteousness is far greater than that of the Torah teachers and Prushim, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so here's a tip for you. This is free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. No free Ginsu knives, no free red truck, no free white truck, no even pretender truck. If you go, I told you last week I was going to start writing ebooks and putting out ebooks. Well, we put out four ebooks already this week. So if you go to the ninjapastor.com and you go to the Ninja Pastor blog, you're going to see ebooks there. And the one I put out today is 16 pages long. That's of this one um, for this one here. So it just it just came out today, right as we were getting here. I timed that right. See how that happened? Not an accident. So uh, go and sign up, and by sign up, I don't mean you have to wave, wave a flag or a sign or you know anything like that. It's just the ninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com. All you have to do is wait for the little panel to pop up unless you have pop-ups disabled. You fill it out. I noticed I saw we have a new subscriber from the live audience here, which I'm excited about. So you just put in your name. You can make up a name. doesn't matter to me. Uh, <clears throat> and then you can put in your email address, make sure it's correct. You'll get an email saying, are you sure? That's because of the new opt-in laws and spam laws. I'm not allowed to. I can't. I have a lot of people that ask me, hey, can you add me? 
Uh, no, I can't because I, I have to be able to testify that, that you put yourself in there, you put your number in there, and we just send you crazy stuff. You didn't get it because we have compatible systems probably. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. If you're getting emails, you're on the list. <clears throat> so what's that? Well, there's a, there's a, that's a great question. You have to really look. You have to really read the post because the link, not that it's hidden, it's in pretty bold, uh, but the link to the eBooks right now, they're free. Not all the eBooks I'm going to do are going to be free. Yes, there will be a whopping price of 99 cents all the way up to the huge price going to make me rich as anything. I'll be driving Mercedes before too long. Uh, that'll be $4.99. That's the most expensive book we'll do, $4.99. Those are special, uh, going to be special, very elaborate things. It's going to be the length of a, a full book. Uh, it's going to have interactive links and different things like that. So you're getting more than just that. So I'm working on it. I'm getting better and better, and we'll uh, we'll see. Working, uh, we're working very hard to make sure. And um, so I'm I'm getting a message that we're loud and clear. So that's another uh, thing for for those here. I know everybody here is so generous to to contribute to the ministry. What we do is we take that money, we put it right back into the technology to try to improve things, make things better. Many of you will remember, not you because you hear my voice right here, but the folks at home and all around the world. Uh, they were very frustrated on Sundays because they said, oh, man, it's just terrible. And then folks here, when you wanted to listen back, because I talk fast, uh, you wanted to listen back, you're like, I can't even listen to it. Well, that's fixed now, praise God. So we fixed that, and, and we're excited. So thank you for giving. If you are in our audience around the world, you want to uh, contribute to what we do, there's a donate button on the ninjapastor.com. Just click on that. It's very super safe. And thank you in advance for doing First, what is a mitzvot? Well, you know, I throw around a lot of Hebrew words, but the Jewish New Testament commentary. Now, you got to understand the words, right? We said mitzvot, so we got to we got to throw uh, we got to throw a meaning behind this word. So, the Jewish New Testament commentary reminds us: one often hears someone Jewish saying, "It's a mitzvah." <clears throat> Nothing from you folks. Nothing at all. A bat mitzvah, a bar mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. It's, it's a mitzvah, usually referring to a charitable, beneficial act performed by another person. Uh, but its Yiddish parallel is mitzvah. Mitzvah. Uh, does, it doesn't have this connotation. Not the same. The Hebrew word mitzvah uh, seems, doesn't, doesn't mean a good deed in that sense. So we'll go further with that. Mitzvah literally means commandment. In fact, Jewish tradition understands exactly 613 mitzvot which is plural of mitzvah. You guys will be Hebrew speakers for it's all over with. To be derived from the Hebrew Bible. So there's 613 mitzvot, the plural of mitzvah, to be derived from the Hebrew Bible. It is not simply a good deed, for example, to refrain from murdering or stealing. Hey, I'm going to do a good deed. I'm not going to murder anybody today. I'm going to hold off. I'm just going to, I'm going to do my good deed for the day, not murdering anyone, not robbing anybody. It's my good deed for the day. My second good deed, I'm not going to murder anybody, I'm not going to rob anybody. Yeah, right? But that's not what it's really about. It's not what it's really about. It's, it's the mitzvot which deal with the feeding of the poor, acting kindly to the stranger in your community or in your home or observing the Sabbath. They're much more significant in Jewish tradition than mere divine suggestions on how to be good. Right. A lot of people say this is just, you know, things how we act, how we pretend to be, but that's not really so. Mitzvot are commandments, traditionally understood to come from God and intended for the Jewish people to observe. Wow, so does that cut us out? Now, so here we go. This is going to be fun. 
Let me just say this now, Dr. Cheryl Durham, some of you have heard Dr. Durham, a good friend of mine, uh, really, really an awesome lady. Um, she's at Masters International, uh, International University of Divinity, mdivs.edu, mdivs.edu, and advising me on, surprisingly, this was really, and you guys, I've shared this with the live audience, you know, you guys miss a lot if you don't come here, if you're just listening on the radio, you miss a whole bunch of stuff. And one of the things you miss, remember you guys, when I talked to you about that question I had, uh, in in one of my doctoral courses, the the doctoral course I'm in now, uh, where it's it's really hard. It's, it seems so simple. Well, I'll read it to you. But she sums up the conundrum in less than 200 words. So the question I had to answer is, how does an appreciation for the Hebraic background of Jesus, Yeshua, and the apostles affect your hermeneutics, which is your understanding and interpretation of the scriptures? Now, my first run at the project uh, verbatim. I'm gonna. I mean, this is this is the first thing you got to submit this for this course, and you have to get past this. Well, I've been working on this for months, literally months. This is the only thing I have to do in order to get into the next part of my course, and then I'm, you know, then I can rock and roll. And I only have eight eight textbooks to read, so it's no big deal. <clears throat> in the years before I met Dr. Arthur J. Mullen, I nearly daily wondered to myself and out loud to anyone who would listen, why was Yeshua brought to earth as a Jew in a Hebraic land with Hebrew worldview and culture? I asked and I asked, and no one answered with any reasonableness. Now, literally, everything I hear, read, teach, preach, and think, everything I read, teach, preach, and think now is filtered through my growing understanding of the Hebraic worldview. <clears throat> Not good enough. She said, try again, Dr. Durham said, how about you try again? So here's my second first draft. So here's my second first draft. The Hebraic background of Yeshua and the Talmudim drives my every understanding of the scriptures through the filter of the then Hebraic worldview, language, and culture. It has to be during the time of writing because the Hebrew worldview changes over time. I cannot understand or teach without first understanding the Hebrew culture and language. <clears throat> Wrong again. Here's my first, second draft. The chronological Hebraic background of Yeshua and the Talmudim drives my every understanding of the scriptures through the filter of the then Hebraic worldview language and culture. It has to be during the time of writing because the Hebrew worldview changes over time. I can't understand or teach without first understanding the Hebrew culture and learning uh, and language. Okay, so that sounds very similar, but I changed some things I thought were going to be in. Dr. Durham says, maybe we should talk on the phone. So Dr. Durham and I have this great conversation. Her far better contribution is this. This was off the top of her head, not for nothing. Since the Hebraic worldview evolves, you might want to say that understanding the original text of the text, context of the text, brings to light meaning that cannot be had in any other way. Understanding Yeshua in his time, what the original audience understood should broaden the meaning to me. Since the separation of 2,000 years truncates culture, and language. I have to know what it meant to be in the first audience. In that way, I can ex extract meaning that is more accurately that more accurately applies to my life as a believer. Hebrew culture and language are not the same throughout time. Now, I think she said pretty much what I said, but a lot smarter. But that's okay, she said, because I'm a little dense. This is another draft, because I'm a lot dense. Okay, let's be fair. An appreciation for the Hebrew background of Yeshua and the apostles will affect my hermeneutic by not allowing me to anachronistically apply meaning to the test, text. 
This is especially true of the traditional Christian hermeneutic of supersessionism. For example, in knowing that the Greek word iodios is, at the time of the writing of the Gospel of John meant Judean, a specific sect and ideology that prevailed at the time of Yeshua, I can no longer apply the later translation that claims that iodios means the Jewish people. Why? Because at that time, there was no such term as the Jews. That meant the whole of the Jewish people, nor was there such a thing as the church. I must therefore reconcile the fact that this gospel was not written as a polemic between the church and Jewish people, but rather contains intramural debate between the groups that existed at the time. I must understand the contextual meaning of Iodii and not anachronistically apply terms that were not relevant to the time, such as church and the Jews. John cannot be talking about either. He can only be referring to the intramural arguments between the diverse Jewish sects did not exist that did exist. All right, we got that? There, everybody. Everybody. Mitzvot. Those of us who live in the Western world are often uncomfortable. I'm just going to say this. And you're going you're gonna to understand this when I say it. You're not going to disagree. I did not just cast a spell. I don't, I'm not a spell caster. <laughs> well, all right, let's be honest. We live in the Western, Western world, the Western church, the postmodern emergent church. We live in the Western world. We're secular people, too. Nobody likes to be commanded anything. I command you. Right? Not going to work well. If your loved wife comes downstairs and says, I command you to do the dishes today. I'm sick of looking at them. I command you to plant some flowers that will grow. I command you to whatever, whatever the thing is. And it certainly doesn't work well if the love husband says, I command you to wear a different hairstyle. Right? It's never popular. Right? That's no way to win anybody over. It's not going to work well. Close to the graveyard you will be. So nobody in this Western world is comfortable with the idea of being commanded to do anything because it seems to deprive us of the right to choose how we behave, what we do. We live in the Western world. We've got to accept that. Now, there are people listening here today that are, that are not living in the Western world. They don't live in the West. We have people listening right now from Odessa, Ukraine. Welcome, Bert. Thank you for listening. Awesome. We've got people listening from all around the world. They don't live in the Western world. For them, it's kind of crazy. seems kind of nuts. We had somebody last week from Morocco. Listen, you know, Morocco was the first country that recognized the United States as an actual nation. Did you know that? They were the first, first uh, partner to us. Isn't that something? So we live in the Western world. We live and think in a Western world way, even when we read and attempt to apply the word of God to man the scriptures. Look, we are Westerners. We live in the modern age. Where we don't live in sort of a, a third world country. We have a lot of conveniences, a lot of, we live, we're pretty fluffy how we live, really. Even the poorest among us is much richer than, than most of the people in other places. Hebrew culture, thinking and language is totally different than Western thinking, Western language, Western culture, and Western living. It's totally different. Now you say, well, I don't think Israel is very much different. I just don't think they're very much different. Well, you would be wrong. Now, there are very secular 
Israelis. There are very secular Jews. There are very academic Jews who, who have put a veil in between their faith, the faith component, and, and you can't look at that group and then look at the Bible, look at Scripture, and compare the two. My buddy Wes isn't here tonight. He's with his family, and we miss him, but we're glad he's enjoying his family. Well, my buddy Wes is always frustrated. How can the Jews, like the New York Jews and the Boston Jews and the Florida, the Boca Jews, all these different ones, all these different Jews, how can they vote for the left when the left hates them? The left does not support Israel. Because there are different Jews, and even the Western ideologically driven, the academically secular Jew isn't the same as this Jew, right? So we look at this, and we have to understand, hey, you know what? It's not the same people. It's not the same type of people. It's not the same culture. Not at all, not even remotely. Now, add to this the powerful realization, the fact that the Hebrew culture and worldview then in the biblical times, you know, we were talking about back in Bible times, guess what times we're living in? Bible times, folks. We're living in Bible times now. So we look back at biblical times and we say, hey, we're back, hello to upstate New York. Um, back back then, biblical times, how it was. We just, the Yildos, uh, that word has been so mistranslated to refer to the Jews and sometimes even the church. Sometimes people go crazy with it because they want it to mean what they want it to mean. They proof text things. They mistranslate on purpose. Problem is, boy, you're really in a sticky wicket if you do that. <clears throat> culture then and the Hebrew culture now, totally different things. But especially in Scripture, vastly different in many, many different respects than even the Hebrew thinking today. Even the most observant Jew today is going to think through a filter. They're going to think through a filter, and that filter is the Western postmodern age. The unchanging fact is that no one likes to be commanded to do anything. Look, I don't like to be commanded to do anything, so I'm included in that. Nobody likes it. Who in here likes to be commanded? Anybody? Nobody. So I didn't get a bunch of hands going up. As soon as someone commands us to do something, anything, the skinny jeans wearers start freaking out about micro and macro aggressions and the mad search for their unbigoted safe spaces. They're going to be in their Prius and on their way. They're going to be finding that place, and they're going to be putting on their, their meditation music. Um, the church really, you know, I don't want to poke fun at the secular world too awful much because the church is no better. The postmodern emergent church really no better. There are so few churches out there preaching the true gospel. And it's a shame. It's tragic because lots of people think they're following the right way, and they're not. We'll talk more about that in a second. Here's the thing. We are uncomfortable with absolutes, aren't we? Right? The modern age, we are uncomfortable with absolutes. This past week, we heard one of the presidential candidates, I won't say his name, got around that, see? Tricky, tricky, can't keep up with me. So one of the presidential candidates uh, really masterfully took the press to school. And the left and many on the alleged right are losing their minds. They're apoplectic now because they say, well, that was bigoted, it was racist. And even the people who started the thing said, no, no, we had nothing to do with it. Can you believe this bigot did that, this racist did that? Now, that's a racist thing. And we have lots of, of talking heads all across you know, television and radio saying, well, that, he started that. Well, he didn't start it. When he said he finished it, he finished it. Um, I happen to believe absolutely Barack Obama is not American. I think there is mountains of evidence to conclude conclusively, pardon to use the same word, root and twice in a row, that absolutely 
I don't believe he is. And and I absolutely believe that he is a Muslim. And I absolutely believe that he is in place on purpose. You say, man, you got a tinfoil hat. I do not have a tinfoil hat, not yet, but I will when I find one I like, one that makes me look skinny. So why are we uncomfortable with absolutes? I'm going to speak totally for myself here. An absolute dictates that I can be right in my behavior or my actions, what I do, what I say, or I can be absolutely wrong. You see, all those people came out, all these talking heads came out, even some allegedly on the right, and they said, boy, this is terrible what he does. Why doesn't he just shut up? Why does he just bring it up? Well, the fact is he was asked the question in an interview, and instead of dodging the question and talking all around it, he answered it directly. And then he hinted to the news, all the news organizations, hey, guess what? At my new hotel that was built under budget and before the due date, ahead of time and under budget. Well, we kind of need somebody that can do that in government, don't we? Under budget and ahead of time, ahead of schedule, in Washington, D.C., the most difficult place to build anything in the country. Really, is that a shock to anybody? Nothing really gets done there, but somehow he managed to do it. So he has this big event at his hotel, and what does he do? He has all these military people, and they're all very uh, highly respected military people, and they all got up there and gave their little personal, personally prepared spiels, and then 20 seconds, at the very end of the thing, 20 seconds, he stands up there and says, Hillary Clinton started it, I finished it. Now, he said that, that you know, Barack Obama's from America and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't think he believes it. I think, in fact, I know that he knows that's not true, but he figures that's a battle I'm not going to get in right now. I'm kind of wanting to become president. What I'm saying there is that's an absolute. It's absolutely true that... It didn't. The very first uh, murmurings didn't start with Hillary Clinton, but her team, believe you me, said, Psst. and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it until finally somebody from the Obama camp said, "Hey, you want to stop talking all that stuff? We from Chicago don't like that. Okay, so you're not going to talk all that birther stuff, right? You're going to shut up about that, right? So then it stopped. But it's an absolute." It's an absolute. Somebody might look at me and go, you know, you're really ugly. If I look at myself in the mirror and I go, I can't argue with you, you know. Mom always said I had a face for radio. That's an absolute. Now maybe beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Maybe maybe there's, uh, like, I don't like beats. Somebody can make beats for me sometime, and, t- and, and, and maybe I'll like them. I don't know. But I'm going to be honest with you. I look at beats, and I just think that's just bloody dirt. I, I have never had a beat I liked. I really never have. There's a lot of shock faces in here, but I'm telling you right now, I've never had one. So if you can put a beat in front of me that I like, you'll be doing something special. Well, for me, that's an absolute, right? I don't like beats. I hate beats. Beats are nasty. So that's very absolute. I'm saying it's very absolute. But would I defend that? How would I defend that? It's what I like, right? That's personal opinion. You love beats. I can see that you love beats. You're just shocked out of the, out of the garden. Okay, however, I don't know. I think they come from straight from hell itself. So, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say, wherever you want to say they're from, that's where I think they're from. So the point, and I had to eat them when I was a kid. My mom said, no, they're good for you. They build up your blood. So I did because 99.9% of what mom made was amazing. I never figure out, man, that's her one glitch. This proves that she's not actually an angel on earth. So here's the thing. That's an idea. That's a that's something that I think, that I feel, it's a personal preference. But guess what? That's not what we're talking about here. Absolutes. You know, right or wrong behavior is absolute. But what have we done? Postmodern emergent society, including the church, has said, well, 
let's just bend that a little bit. So the obvious question here is, I know what you're thinking, Torah dead because Yeshua came. Did he abolish Torah? And I know, I know. You might say, but I'm a Christian, and I now live in the age of grace, not in the age of the law. Jesus says. But you have to ask yourself, why do I think and believe this way? Why do I think and believe this way? The teaching each of us receives over the years colors our beliefs and how our beliefs develop, right? I had Sunday school teachers. I had Mrs. West, one of the most wonderful Sunday school teachers I've ever had. I've talked about her many, many times. This lady did not have a formal education. In fact, I'm not positive she went past the eighth grade. That, I'm, I'm not positive about that, but I, I think somehow or another this is this is pertinent. But, man, did she know the Bible. My goodness. Her Bible, I felt pity on her. How I thought she was so poor was I looked at her Bible, and she had things taped. And, you know, back then we didn't have the real nice tape, and she had all kinds of 12 different kinds of tape on there, and she had the covers taped on. And she, she I mean, it was just really something. But this woman wrote, I don't think there was a margin in that Bible that wasn't written on. Uh, and she had things taped, pages taped onto the Bible. And I thought to myself, lady, you so poor, you got to write on your Bible, you couldn't get a, a tablet or something? just carry it around with it, but it's just because she was so in the Word, in the Scripture. She was so digging in. God gave her discernment. She didn't have formal education, but she had discernment through the Holy Spirit, through Rakh Kadesh, right? So I received great teaching as a young person, but I went to an independent, no offense to any of you folks here or, or out in the world uh, listening, I went to an independent, fundamental, Bible-thumping, foot-stomping, hand-banging on the pulpit, specially reinforced pulpit, right? I did that. I went to that church, and in fact, for two years, I went to the Christian school there, too. Um, so, so here is the thing. Here's the really big thing. That was my teaching. That was how I was brought up. And some of the teachers were like Mrs. West, who were amazing. Some of the pastors who were like Pastor Sparrow were amazing. Pastor Sparrow was absolutely amazing. He was an amazing man. Wonderful teacher. Um, Pastor Latour, who is now retired as well. Pastor Latour was the headmaster of Lewis Christian Academy. Wonderful man. Wonderful, wonderful man. Very formative in my life. Really, really. He's the first man I ever saw hug uh, another male. And I thought to myself, wow, that's something different. I've never seen that. I had never seen that in my life. I'd never seen a father figure hug a, a, a son figure. Never. Never in my life. He was not only the headmaster, but he's the soccer coach. He was not only the soccer coach and the headmaster, but he was also the teacher of a class called Man in Demand. And I'm, it's gone away now. The class is no more. It's so politically incorrect, you just can't believe. But that guy was transformative in my life. And you know what he did? He said a lot of absolutes. But what did he say? He and Pastor Sparrow said a lot of absolutes that they absolutely believed. They didn't doubt for a moment. Welcome to Don on chat. We're glad to have you, brother. Um, they not they didn't for one moment doubt what they they were regurgitating. Why? Because they had been taught by godly men and women this, and they were convinced they believed this was true, and so they taught it, and they taught it with great vigor and conviction. Maybe the teacher wasn't trying to mislead us. They were only just teaching us what they knew, what they learned, how they how they lived and worshipped, and how their thoughts went. You know, w were woven through their life. Here's the thing. This is the really big thing. And Dr. Skip Moen, you guys have heard him live here, and, and you, you can go to skipmoen.com and, and 
sign up for his thing, you make a donation, one or ongoing, and I'm telling you right now, you'll have some stuff in your inbox you won't believe. I subscribe, so and I give to it, so pretty awesome. So he's he's uh, he's authored many many books and DVDs and travels all over the world. Literally travels all over the world all the time, teaching. He puts it this way in in one of his many standard setting uh, writings on the. He really sets the standard. This is the benchmark right here on this topic. The problem is intensely personal. If sin really is not following Torah, as John suggests, or Yochanan, then there are a lot of believers who are living lives of lawlessness, even if they are meeting the ethical expectations of their culture. The only way we can support the current Christian view of ethical behavior is to diminish the Hebraic context of John's letter, to pretend that John converted to Christianity and broke with the Jewish way of life tied to Torah. The history of the first century in order to conclude that John did not mean what is found throughout the LXX or the Septuagint, the disciples and Paul. But if John thinks like a Jew, writes like a Jew, believes like a Jew, follows a Jewish Messiah, how can we justify treating this text as if John thought like Christians after Marcion? Who has the correct definition of the term enemos, John or us? You see, there's no use pretending that what we call acceptable is good enough for God. It doesn't matter what the preacher says or the theologian or the church. What matters, and the only thing that matters, is the text. What does God say? What does God demand of me? There is only That's the only question, and you better not get the wrong answer. So that's what he says. He really minces words, doesn't he? I had him as a professor, have him as a professor, and I don't know if I'll survive. He's he's real tough. However, we cannot fail to acknowledge the anti-Semitism that exists today as it did during the translation from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to German to English or some facsimile thereof. Antinomianism is anti-Torah, which is also anti-Jew. Is there antinomianism in the newest in the New Testament? Maybe the better question is: Is there antinomianism? today. Theopedia.com notes that Shaul, or as most Christians know him, Paul, in his letters, mentions several times that we are saved by the unearned grace of God, not by our own good works, lest any should boast. He used the term freedom in Christ, for example, in Galatians 2.4, and it is clear that some understood this to mean lawlessness. For example, Acts 21.21 records James explaining his situation to Paul or Shaul. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moshe, or Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our custom. The early history of Christianity records conflict between Pauline Christianity and the Jerusalem church led by James the Just, Simon Peter, and John, the so-called Jewish Christians. In Galatians 2.14, part of the incident at Antioch, Shaul, or Paul, as you probably know him, publicly accused Peter, or Kepha, as his actual name is, of Judaism, Judaizing, perhaps legalism. Maybe he was accusing him of that. He goes on to say that sins remain sins and condemns by several examples the kind of behavior that the church should not tolerate. This confusion is most likely the cause of the statement in 2 Peter 3.16 that some of Shaul, or Paul's letters, are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Here it is right here. Indeed, he speaks about these things in all his letters. They contain some things that are hard to understand, things which 
the uninstructed, the unstable distort to their own destruction, as they do in other scriptures. Well, the epistle of James, in contrast, states that our good works justify before men our faith after salvation, and we are to obey the law of God, that faith without works is dead. James 2, 14 to 26. Let me just read it to you. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no actions to prove it? Is such faith able to save him? Now, let me stop there. I use the example very, very often of the thief on the cross, the penitent and the unpenitent on the cross next to Christ on either side. And I say, listen, you don't have to get it all together and have it all right and be able to string a certain number of days together uh, of doing the exact right thing in the eyes of Christendom, not even in the eyes of God, in order to reap the benefit of glory and redemption through Christ. Why? Because the penitent thief knew who he was before God. He recognized the man next to him was God himself, the very Son of God prophesied. He was Yeshua Hamashiach. He was the Messiah. And soon he would give us through his death and his resurrection, Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit. He knew that and he acknowledged that, that one very important thing. But many people look at that also in Christendom and say, well, that guy didn't have time to prove he knew Torah, to live Torah. He didn't have time. So that, in that case, all you need to do is say the name of Jesus and believe that he bled and died, lived a perfect life, bled and died, was tortured, died, was put in a borrowed grave, and rose on the third day, you're good to go. There was a little bit more to it than that. Suppose, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and someone says to him, Shalom, keep warm and eat hearty without giving him what he needs. What does it do? What good does it do? Thus, faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say that you have faith and I have actions. Show me this faith of yours without the actions, and I will show you my faith by my actions. You believe that God is one. Good for you. The demons believe it too. Though the thought makes them shudder with fear. But foolish fellow, do you want to be shown that such faith apart from actions is barren? Wasn't Avraham Avinu declared righteous because of actions when he offered up his son Yitzhak on the altar? You see that his faith worked with his actions. By the actions, his faith was made complete. And the passage of the Tanakh was fulfilled, which says, Avraham had faith in God and was credited to his account as righteousness. He was even called God's friend. You see that a person is declared righteous because of his actions and not because of faith alone. Likewise, wasn't Rachav, the prostitute, also declared righteous because of the actions, when, because of her actions when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another route? Indeed, just as the body without a spirit is dead, so too faith without actions is dead. I say it all the time. Hesitant faith is no faith at all. According to the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua, or Jesus as you may know him, taught this. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's Matthew 7, 20, 23. According to another sermon Yeshua taught, the good person out of good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure 
produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's Luke 6, 45 and 46. My friends here in this room and all around the world, anybody listening around the planet via the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show or the Sundays with Dr. Sean, the ninjapastor.com, wherever you're doing this, whether you're reading the ebook and listening to this as a companion, because you can listen to the recording along with the ebook. Pretty cool, right? I have to ask you as I had to ask myself, and I have to ask myself this every day what is it that he told them to do and live? What did Yeshua tell them to do and to live? Torah. The very same Torah that Yeshua himself lives perfectly every day for all of his life. Many taught and still do teach that Yeshua's coming and uh, his fulfilling of the law abolished Torah, made it no longer necessary. And I understand why they make this mistake, because unless and until we understand the Hebrew language, the culture, the worldview, at the time of writing, then we're simply playing the game of telephone with only two old broken-up solo cups, plastic solo cups, and an old tattered string woefully strung between the two, failing to connect the centuries. It's also terribly important to completely accurately translate even the most seemingly insignificant words, Hebrew idioms, and phrases. If not translated 100% correctly and accurately, the dominoes won't fall as they are intended to fall. And the string between the cracked red solo cups is just an old useless frayed string between two plastic cups with holes in them. And I can certainly understand why this type of talk would freak some people out. I know that probably some people all around the country right now are hearing this and they're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. man, you're sounding to me like you're telling me i got to do Torah or I'm not saved. Listen a little closer. To accept these thoughts, these things that I'm saying to you, would seem to undo an awful lot of what you grew up believing, right? Pastor Bob Latour, love the man, admire him greatly. Pastor uh, Sparrow, Irving R. Sparrow, love that man. Both those men were formative in my life, amazing preachers, amazing teachers. But they were wrong. Does it mean I have to throw rocks at them because they were wrong in their teaching? They were very convicted in their teaching. They, they very much believed everything that they said, not out of malice. They don't want to lead anybody astray. That's just what they learned. Look, I recognize that it freaks some people out to hear these things. Listen, the, the audience here, everybody here has heard Dr. Moen speak, with the exception, I think, of one. And the fact of the matter is most of you shook their head. Miss Charlotte, I remember, I remember thinking, oh, man, somebody better get some some duct tape for Miss Charlotte's head because I think her head's going to explode. Right? Right? My buddy Wes, he was just shaking his head going, man, oh, man, why'd you have to tell me come listen to this? And I had been preaching it for a long time to this group, right? And a lot of people in here were just kind of shaking their head going, that guy's kind of weird. He is from Sussex County, Delaware, so weird stuff happens there, so maybe it's that. So you have to undo, when you change your way of thinking a little bit by little bit, you have to undo what you grew up believing. And it would seem like this type of thinking is actually dangerous. But remember this. You have to remember this, that by accepting, accepting this manner of thinking in cultural context, it doesn't seek to demean your biblical knowledge or your practice or to undermine any of your previous pastors or Bible teachers. Just right now, relax, take a deep breath, and realize you can't eat an elephant all in one bite, and you cannot turn the Titanic around in a teacup. It will take some time. It will take some effort on your part to come to the understanding that more closely represents what God actually intended for his people. But remember this. This is so important. To be anti-Torah is to be anti-Messiah. 
and anti-Jew. Yeah, that's right, I said that. Torah is by no means a relic of an irrelevant time. In fact, as many falsely believe, the age of grace superseded the age of the law. And this errant belief is based upon the mistranslation, at times totally by mistake, or sometimes intentionally, because of anti-Semitism translators. Woo, what? I thought it was perfect. You know, one of the worst anti-Semites in the world was Martin Luther. Hated Jews, referred to them as dogs, said they should burn. A lot of people say, I don't think that could happen. I don't think the translations of the Bible, I don't think that could happen. There's too many eyes on that. It, actually, it, it has happened throughout the ages. And some of the anti-Semitism came from the most unlikely of places. Look, I teach all over the United States this one powerful premise. Little things don't mean a lot. Little things mean everything. Little things like one simple word mistranslated or misdefined in some way, anachronistically applied, can completely change the meaning of a passage of Scripture. You know, over the course of generations of misunderstanding a passage of Scripture, then the common knowledge, it becomes your common knowledge, your traditional learning. And so you accept that. You just say, well, that's what I believe. Then the real knowledge, the truth of Scripture, becomes lost. Its true meaning becomes lost. One such instance is in this passage. The word used is the Greek word telos. In this case, telos is translated as fulfill or end in the sense of termination. The logical thought based on this mistranslation is that by Yeshua coming, the law is terminated, that it's over, that it's no longer relevant or applicable for its time only. I mentioned Dr. Skip Mullen. Uh, he wrote the following post. I have to I have to share this with you. It's absolutely powerful. Um, if you pardon me, if you want uh, the ebook from this, it's free. They don't cost you a penny. Just go to the Ninja Pastor blog. Uh, go ninjapastor.com. Go to the Ninja Pastor blog. It'll be on that post. There'll be a link right there and a link to all these articles that I'm referring to. But so he writes this in today's word, um, and and he entitles this post "Basic Arithmetic." Now. I at first didn't like it. I'm sorry, you're a math teacher, but I hated math and still do today. I had a mean math teacher. I'm sure you were very nice. Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Add or take away. Do you think that God is serious when he says we're not to add or subtract anything from his commandments? The Hebrew verb for add is yasah. It is used to describe increasing, repeating, continuing, and enhancing actions so Israel's sins are piled one on another and her guilt is increased. The Lord added sons to Jacob and Rachel. Solomon increased the tax burden on the people, and it's pretty easy to understand the meaning of Yesah. Since that's the case, I wonder why we don't seem to pay any attention to it. Do we add to God's commandments? Hmm. Well, we might start by asking if we increase or enhance requirements. For example, a society that expects and awards massive punitive damages certainly adds to God's civil justice. We do the same thing in the church, adding tradition to church governance and requirements. That pushes us in the direction of legalism. Just think about all the behavioral rules that govern your life. How many of them are really grounded in Scripture? How many of them are extensions or additions? Here's some for you. Does God command you to go to church every Sunday? Does he obligate you to give a tithe to the local church? Does he compel you to wear specific clothing, speak with particular phrases, or use certain prayers? Does he regulate your social contacts or your choice of career? We really
really need to know. But my guess is that most of us never look closely to see what God says and what he doesn't say. On the other hand, God is just as concerned about taking away from his word. Here the Hebrew is gerah, a verb that means to diminish, to reduce, to remove, and to cut short. We're much better at subtraction than we are an addition. That's because reducing and diminishing God's word doesn't require so much investigation. All we have to do is to do what we want. For example, God commands us to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Hard to get around that, isn't it? Pretty black and white. When did we decide as Christians that God really didn't mean what he said? Do you suppose that that happened when it became inconvenient? After all, do we really think God actually cares what we do after church on a Sunday? If we don't understand what God means, then subtraction is pretty easy. Of course, the great Christian excuse for this is these laws were only for the Jews. We have so saturated our theology with grace and forgiveness that it has become the perfect excuse to do whatever seems morally correct. So in spite of the fact that God says the Feast of Unleavened Bread is to be kept forever, I rather doubt that any contemporary Christian has ever participated nor even imagines he or she ever will. I've only done it once in my life. It's only because I was with some Jews at the time. There's something wrong here. God is not interested in moral correctness. He is not interested in obedience. He is interested in obedience. According to God's word, is dangerous. It's dangerous because it demands a razor-sharp understanding of God's freedom in the midst of human structure. God is neither legalistic nor antinomian. Rules do not make a relationship with him. Neither do Neither does the denial of rules. You and I have to walk on the edge of the blade if we are going to serve our master according to his desires. If you're not sure about adding or subtracting, maybe you need to to get back to first grade and start over. It's not what's right that matters. It's what he requires. Okay, time for a little quiz here. We'll go a little bit longer. We're not, we're not far from uh, finishing for this time. It's a little quiz. I'm not going to give out any gold stars or plat stars or anything like that. Of what faith and culture did Yeshua self-identify? You know, I self-identify as a man. You know why I self-identify? You know why I do? So, this is shake, shake your head. You know why I self-identify as a man? Anybody? Because I'm a man, right? I are one, created that way. That's that's what I am. I identify as a man. Well, nowadays you can pretty much self-identify as anything you want, but Yeshua self-identified. Oh, you jumped ahead now. Um, This is going to help you, free of charge. You don't need to help. You already know. Yeshua was and is and always will be a Jew. Yeshua, though born of a Jewish virgin, was born a Jew. Yeshua lived as a Jew in Hebrew culture, and he lived Torah. Yeshua, as a Jew, perfectly embodied and fulfilled Torah during his life. Even in death, the fully Jewish Yeshua lived Torah, and by living Torah as the perfect Jew, Fulfilled Torah. Man, that's some tough stuff. Listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop here because I think I'm afraid I'm going to bend your brain. This is uh, this is some heady stuff, and I don't want to I don't want to rush so far through, and we've got so much more to do here. So let me mark where I finished. But I want to say this to you, some of some of you, and it's okay. I get some unique uh, I get some unique mail. Every single week I get some unique, uh, and I get a lot of encouraging things too. I love that, by the way. I love all your encouraging things people send me. I get the coolest things. Um, I don't know if it was a lady or a man, uh, but uh, someone sent me a really nice 
um, email in their own language. I haven't yet even figured out what it is, but let me tell you, really, really super cool. Uh, you, when I opened the email, I felt like, oh, okay, he's not saying, he or she, I don't know, is not mad at me. They're saying, hey, thank you for doing what you're doing um, and keep doing it. Now, is that an absolute? No. What is absolute is his meaning, according to his own language and intent. But do I understand his language and intent? Do I have context? No. I just dreamt, I dreamt that up. I said, you know, I don't want to read another hate letter. I get a lot of hate letters. I'm down to 26,000 unread emails, and I bet in those 26,000 unread emails, I bet some of them are actually nice. I love getting the nice stuff. I really do. I enjoy it. But you know what? What tells me is, is folks, when they send the hate letters, they're not on our team. They're not our, they're not our friends. But guess what? They take the time to listen even a little bit. And when the word falls fresh and true on their ears, unadulterated, just fresh and true for real on their ears, sometimes God uses that opportunity to change some hearts and minds. That's what he does. But here the fact is, is I sent that guy back, or woman, I don't know which, back an email, and I said, this is in English because that's what I speak. Um, would you mind, because I even tried translating it, would you mind just typing out what language this is? Because it looked crazy. It was like all kinds of, it wasn't Arabic. It wasn't, you know, any of that. It was just really odd language. I, I don't know what it is. It might just be some language that says, you're an idiot and I hate you. I don't know. I'm hoping that it's, you're great and keep preaching. But I sent him back a clarifying thing saying, hey, I don't understand this language, would you mind just tell me what language it is, and I'll see if I can have it translated. Because I really want to know what you what you said. And then, of course, I put a shameless plug for the website. And if he puts a comment, he or she puts a comment there. I don't think anybody's going to understand it, but that's okay too. Absolutes. Uh, some people can can understand English but can't write in it. So, so the crazy thing about this here is, look, this is this is the real life we live, right? We're living in this world, and there's all these influences upon us. I had the same influences growing up, the conundrums. I remember thinking, you remember my failed attempt at uh, that first component, which I still haven't successfully completed, the first component, the 200-word answer. I remember thinking, man, there's got to be a reason that Jesus, back then I said, Jesus, Jesus, there's got to be a reason Jesus was plopped down to a Jewish family in in really spurious circumstances, let's be honest. And among the 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 the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. What? Why? Why not have him come as a man, poof, like some kind of poof, you know, just appear. And people would see and believe, wow, he just appeared out of nowhere to be the Messiah. Why didn't you make it easier? Why didn't you make it why didn't you do it this way? Why'd you do it in this culture? This is such a confusing culture. Why'd you do that? I just shook shook my head. At the same time, I have a whole bunch of whys. You know, I'm a why person. I'd like to know some answers. Why in the world were so many Jews permitted to be slaughtered? All across time, the Jews have been in the crosshairs. All across time, there's been such hatred and anti-Semitism against the Jews. Why, God? Why did you choose this? I'm going to ask that question. I guess it'll be made clear to me. I won't have to ask. I'll just have to listen. Be still and know that he is God. When I'm right there, he's there, and I'm here, 
We're both in comfortable chairs. And I'm sitting at the feet of the master and learning all, all I need to know. You see, that's the big challenge. That's the huge challenge we have. We have a lot of whys, but we, we ask why about the wrong things, right? We pick at the wrong things. We, we wonder at the minutiae instead of the really important stuff. I can't more heartily recommend, and I don't get a penny from them. They're not sponsors of my show. They don't, you know, I pay full price for, for their stuff. Is the Complete Jewish Bible and now the Complete Jewish Study Bible. Brand new. It's just brand new out. It's awesome. I've been reading the ink right off the pages. It's really, really powerful. Now I have, now I guess, 39 Bibles, printed Bibles, I guess, um, in many different translations, and I love them. I love them. I even have the Message Bible, Dr. Eugene Peterson. Not a Bible I would ever teach from, but it is an interesting Bible, especially when you're sitting down with someone who has no understanding of what you're even talking about, to get them started. I even have several copies of the King James Version and some new King James, and I have New American Standard, and I have the ASV, and I have the NASB 95, and the NASB, you know, I got them all, man. I got them all. ESV, and I love to read them. The, the Greek, the Hebrew Greek Word Study Bible. Powerful scripture, powerful teaching. Got every commentary you can think of. It all helps us to understand little by little, bit by bit. What did I say about the Titanic? You can't turn it around in a teacup. What did I say about the elephant? You can't eat it all in one bite. So don't freak out when you when you get this kind of teaching. And you say, "Whoa, what are you saying about my teachers?" You're really undermining my teachers. Man, I don't like that. I don't like what you're doing. You're saying they didn't know what they were talking about. No, I'm saying they didn't know. And you know what the very interesting thing is? They didn't know that they didn't know. They didn't know that they didn't know. Now, there's a lot of people all across the country that know, but they don't want to know. They wish they didn't know. They wish they didn't know the truth because the truth challenges them. I'm one of those people. Boy, you know, when you talk about being commanded, I don't want to be commanded. You know, a lot of people uh, are asking, you know, are you saying I need to follow Torah? Do I need to follow all 16, 613 laws of Torah? Here's the thing. Some of those laws, look, there's no way in this world I could ever do. Not because I'm, I'm not in that time. I'm not in that culture. I'm not exposed to some of those things. But there are sure a whole lot of things there that I could do. What would it mean to God? For me to say, Father, I'm, I'm going to give this up or give that up because you commanded it. What would it mean to him? How would he feel? Some folks say, why do you confuse people? You should stop saying Yeshua. You should start saying just Jesus. People know what you're talking about. Close enough. How about, you know, Sean and Stain are very similar. Sean and Stain, they use a lot of the same. Would I, look, Stain is close enough to Sean. I just, just call me Stain. If you're... If you're if you're introduced to me and you start calling me Stain and you think we're going to be friends and I'm going to let you keep calling me Stain instead of Sean, I'm going to stop you a couple of times and I'm going to say, actually, my name isn't Stain. Not sure if you're telling me something uh, subliminal there, not so subliminal, but my name is Sean. Oh, yeah, 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 Sean, yeah, Sean. And then five minutes later, you start calling me Stain again. I'm going to correct you again. I'm only going to do that for a certain period of time until what? Until I go, you know, this guy doesn't listen. This guy must not care about my actual name. That's why I say Yeshua. Sometimes I'll say uh, Jesus a few times in the message, and then I'll explain just like Paul, Shaul, and 
Kepha Peter and John Yochanan, and I'll say that. And I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm not some Hebrew scholar, not by a long shot. But the fact of the matter is that's their names. Little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. God bless you. Join us on Wednesday. I assure you, we will have a show on Wednesday that will blow your mind. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.